Welcome to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where beaten, cracked, shattered people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough. We aren't capable. We are relatively damaged. And that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me, not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today, we are going to talk with Marie Fraser from across the pond in the UK. She has many roles in her life, mother, daughter, sister, hypnotherapist, life coach, and creator. We'll talk about how she escaped the clutches of a narcissistic husband, what walking on eggshells is like in a world where black is white and vice versa. We'll also learn what prompted her to find more fun in her life and how she cherishes her sons. Let's talk. Hello, Marie, and welcome to Relatively Damaged. Thanks for being here today. And thanks for inviting me, Angela. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I love the English accent, I have to tell you, of course, but don't most Americans, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> so we were both surprised today because there was cancellation. You were able to get in right away. And yep. so what was that like in thinking? I mean, we're going to be talking about a pretty big struggle, it seems like to me, at least that's the purpose of the podcast. So what was it like preparing for that so quickly? I felt a bit off on the back foot but it wasn't too big a deal because you know my journey started a long time ago so I've been for want of a better phrase in recovery for a very long time Mm -hmm. but it's something that I feel very strongly about to be able to share with other people that are experiencing that uh, kind of abuse or lifestyle to Mm -hmm. be honest with you. Right. Now you, what I was reading about is that you spent a very long time, 20 some odd years, I want to say, was in an abusive marriage or a narcissistic marriage, right? That's correct. Yeah. It wasn't like that all the time, <laughs> certainly not in the beginning, but narcissists are, are very clever in a way. They're very charming, very manipulative, and it's, you know, something will happen that will it's not necessarily a red flag it's, it's something that you think well that's a bit strange but you let it go 
and or that's a bit annoying you'll let it go I mean there'd be instances where I'd be asked you know shall we have a curry tonight and I'd say actually no I'd prefer something else if whatever and it would be oh oh really um well I'd really like a curry and then I'd say yes okay fine but then the next time it would go down the root of asking me several times, did I want to curry? This is just a, an, an example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no, I actually don't. I wanted an Italian or what have you. Are you sure you don't want to curry? No, no, I don't want to curry. And it, it was almost like a toddler asking you, um, asking you so that you would actually change your mind. And mm. in the end, it became so irritating. You just say, okay, fine curry let's let's just have a curry but that's how it sort of starts it seems really innocuous okay but it's almost like you're being sort of prodded in the shoulder and it becomes a bit irritating so you then start to go along with whatever just for the peace and quiet right so it's like a little nag Mm. a constant nag that becomes a larger wound but you don't maybe even realize you've got the wound exactly it's it's all the little things that's that's a very innocuous example I was giving you Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but then it would lead on to over the years more serious examples in my opinion so for example when I had my first child the day I brought him home from hospital, his father said, well, actually, I'm going to go off to South Africa to watch the rugby in two weeks' time. And there was absolutely no thought as a new mother that I would need support and help. I had no, we lived in, in London, so we had no family around us. And I just sat there and thought, how does he think this is okay? That must have felt really horrible. Well, you feel quite abandoned and very alone and the sort of, not the worry, but you're in this new position. You've never done it before. Quite frankly, there's no manual for being a new mom. You sort of just... (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Absolutely. You just don't go off and say, okay, page 36, this is what you need to do for whatever. It's And you're scared. I, I defy any new mom not to say they're scared because you're so responsible for this new life so you know that that was another in that was another instance which which wasn't a a minor event that was really quite major and then it would when he came back from that trip he bought a very very quick airport purchase gift of, of a dress that I probably couldn't have got over my thigh oh no you because you of course just had a baby (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Exactly. There were these signs that, you know, he was not in the marriage, you know, not in the relationship. Right. It sounds like a huge disconnect. So I say I'm pretending I'm him. So what I want is for you to be able to wear this nice dress. So I'm going to get this nice dress, regardless of what it is you want or need. And so it's just that would be very confusing, I think, to be in that 
type of a relationship? Well, it is because, you know, this was sort of um, several, obviously this was not at the very beginning of, um, of our relationship or the marriage. I, I think I, I, I've got to back up a little bit. I was a very independent corporate woman mm-hmm. and I had my identity and he had his job and what have you. But it did change when I became a full-time mom because then I almost was under under his control mm. because I wasn't financially uh, independent anymore. And it, I was at home with the children mm-hmm. and it was, uh, you know, he did work away a lot, which he'd all, he always had done and which was completely acceptable to me because I'd been used to it for many, many years. But it was then became his almost like the attention he he was probably missing the attention which was being taken away by bringing two boys up oh i i always felt that there was like an element of jealousy mhm oh because he wasn't having my undivided attention it it was a very peculiar situation yeah so you've got two children who really need and want your love and support and deserve it and then you've got this man their father and he's almost it sounds like your experience of the situation was he was jealous and I would venture to say maybe upset that there were these kids taking your attention away from him I think that's right you know I think that's right which was only sort of several years later that that sort of hit me Mm mm-hmm as being an actual fact it was very um it sounds crazy and even after the event many a long time after the event it's almost like I'm embarrassed that I actually put I went through those scenarios does that make sense that you're embarrassed that you chose him and then had no 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 not that not that um because you know I didn't know the full extent of his personality when we got together but when I look back at the scenarios that I was put in I'd gone from a very strong corporate woman to really a former vision of myself and put up with or just got on with a lot of crap because as time went on I was not independent and then the boys loved their father and when you're in the sort of clutches of a narcissist you believe it's your fault you've done something wrong Hmm. you know I I should have done this perhaps I could have done it that way and after a long time it then becomes like walking on eggshells it's like you can't do anything right at all Right. So is it kind of like, if I just would have done this, then maybe this would have happened, or if I would have done this. So anytime you make a choice, then you're probably thinking, tell me if I get this wrong, but I'm thinking, you're probably thinking, I've got to get this right. And I'm going to think through every possible scenario I can think through. And then I'm going to make the best choice I can. And Gosh darn it. But so it's almost like you're having to manipulate also in a way. And I, I don't know if that's the right word. 
No, I think what it's more like is you, you're almost having to preempt every future situation. Right. You know, right. to try and smooth the road out because you're never quite sure what's going to come flying back at you. Because it's not consistent either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's absolutely exhausting. And I don't know whether you know anything about narciss- narcissists or narcissism. I always have difficulty saying that word just because I can't get my tongue around it. Right. And, um, you know, these, these people, first of all, have no conception of other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, empathy is a very strong word, but they do lack empathy. Yeah. So, for example, you know, the, the fact of going off on a holiday with his friends mm-hmm. to watch the rugby while we'd got a newborn baby, that just did not figure in his psyche. That was okay with him. Whereas most normal people would have said, well, of course, you can't go because and it it just wouldn't have happened. Mm. Or at least there would have been a conversation. It doesn't even sound like there's a conversation. They want what they want and they're going to take it. Absolutely. And it doesn't really matter whether you agree or you don't. And that went on for a very long time. I mean, another classic example is the last family home that we bought I really disliked it. It was just, I just didn't feel it was right. And I argued until I was blue in the face. But he decided that that was the one we were going to, you know, that was it. He just went off and bought it. And it was about two years later that one of the neighbours told me a previous previous owner of the house had committed suicide in it. Mm. And I just got this, feeling that it wasn't right and it was a it was quite an unhappy time because I was I I didn't want to say stuck there I mean I was there he was working away all the week and would come back at the week come home at the weekends but it was almost as though narcissists have got very grandioso ideas you know okay it was a very nice house it was a big house etc but it was almost like it was a badge for him Mm, right look at this trinket that I've got haven't I done well it was all about his his persona to the rest of the world if that that makes uh, any sense I think so I I think what I hear you saying is he needed to look and have look a certain way and have certain things that said I'm successful and you want to be my friend and give me what I want Yes, (laughs) exactly, exactly. I mean, they're very arrogant. As I said, they've got these grandioso ideas and um, personas. They're always right. There is absolutely no point arguing because they will argue that black is white and it does become exhausting. There's no logic. They're quite delusional. Mm-hmm. So did black eventually become white for you in some yeah, ways? Absolutely. And how absolutely. did, so it sounds like that was a slow process. Well, you talked about the nagging at the beginning. You've talked now about trinkets and, and being a trophy. Did you feel like a trophy wife and on some level? Not at all, because material things, whilst they're very nice, I've never felt that they defined who I was. Right. But did he, do you think he defined oh, for you sure. as a trophy wife? Um, yeah, possibly. 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 That's something that, I'll be honest with you, Angela, it's something I'd actually, that I'd not thought of. 
But, you know, certainly not all the material things were trophies. Right. The fancy sports cars and this, that and the other, they were, they were sort of trophies to the rest of the world of how well I'm doing. Look at me, aren't I just doing so well and wanting admiration. I mean, narcissists want permanent admiration. Which you would get from the kids, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but he needed more. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of, um, I mean, his personality is such that he is, no, he's very uncomfortable by himself. He needs to have a lot of people around him. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we haven't been together now for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can only talk about how it was when we were together, my personal experience of that situation. I don't know. I I assume narcissists very seldom change. And And the reason that I'm quite genned up on this now is because I didn't realize he was a narcissist until a few years after we parted because I couldn't understand the behavior. So how did you figure that out? Well, basically, I retrained as a therapist and coach, and I've worked with lots of different people now. And it was going through the traits of a a narcissist Mm -hmm. that I thought, oh, my God, that is exactly what I've experienced of all those years. I mean, it was almost a mirror Mm-hmm. Of, of, of the personality of, of the ex-husband. Was that disappointing for you or? No, it wasn't disappointing. I'll tell you what it was. It was almost relieving mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you are in, I'll sort of turn the clutches of a narcissist. You think it's, you think you're the one that's going mad. Right. Because no matter what you seem to say or do is either contradicted or it's belittled. And there's so much manipulation. Well, I was just wondering, were you ever made to believe that your thoughts weren't, that what you thought happened didn't happen? Or yeah, totally. Happen? Yeah, and absolutely. What did that feel like inside when it happened? Or did you even recognize it? right away there would be instances I'd think have I just dreamt this okay is, is this for real mm-hmm. and I think then what happens certainly what happened for me is you become numb to it mm. the interesting thing was I'd forgotten who I was I'd lost all sense of you know who I was in my in my 20s and uh, later 20s I was I mean look every life's experience demands a different us you know I'm not the same person I was in my 20s 30s etc I'm not the same person I was at the beginning of the marriage that I was at the end of the marriage I'm a different person because I'm a mother motherhood makes you you know, become different because your these experiences are demanding different aspects of you so yeah, certainly I had no clue at the end when I was finally on my own. I had no idea who I was, you know, who was this woman who I didn't know what I wanted. Uh, I knew I wanted some peace. I knew I wanted to be free and I knew I wanted to have some fun in, back in my life because fun is very important to me. 
but I wasn't quite sure how I was going to get it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a question, I thought, rebuilding and sort of reinventing myself is going back to the skeleton and then putting the flesh on the bones. Mm. That sounds really hard. Well, we've got an amazing, humans are, are fabulous. You know, we've got this amazing survival instinct. I mean, it sounds a bit sort of dramatic saying a survival instinct, but I knew that I didn't want to be the person that I was mm-hmm. at the end of the marriage. I, I just felt absolutely exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be that fun-loving woman that I had been 20 odd years earlier right well it was hard to get out of I'm sure it was because over the years I did try to leave several times Mm. but it just it was very difficult and also if I'm honest with you I I didn't want to break the family up I wanted the family life But on hindsight, I perhaps should have been stronger. It doesn't really matter. It didn't happen. So I don't have any regrets about it, about not leaving earlier. But I'm a big believer the universe gives you what you can deal with. And I think everything happens at the right time for you. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, for the first probably six months, I just went around in a fog, really. There was the sort of a big sigh of relief because I didn't feel that pressure that I'd become, you know, I'd become to feel when I was in his company. So mm. there, was a, there was a relief there. And I felt so much freer. Was it also scary? Yes, of course, because every uh, relationship breakup is scary because even if it's not a happy relationship there's that familiarity and then all of a sudden you're going from familiarity to uncertainty Mm. so yes it is scary at first you know I'm I'm not I don't advocate having your own pity party Mm -hmm. because that's not going to get you anywhere And I learned very early on is laugh and everybody will laugh with you, cry and you'll cry on your own. Because, but but don't get me wrong, there were sort of close friends I could have a cry with if I wanted to. But you can only do that for so long because your friends will get fed up of it. (laughs) You know, they're they're much, no, it's truly, they'll be, they're much more supportive if they can see that you're really trying to get yourself out of the hole. Right. Whereas if you're going to sit there forever going, oh, woe is me, woe is me, they're going to think, oh, gosh, you know, I can't really, how can I help her? How can I, you know? <laughs> right. So you're there, though. You're there. You've left. You're scared. And what are you doing to keep moving forward? Or what are those feelings like? Or what helps propel you? Maybe that's the best question. Yeah, question. what helps propel me is that I wanted a better life I just knew I was going to have that for myself and, and, and my kids and my children were in their teens at the time so you know they weren't young babies but they weren't I, I don't think it really matters what age children are I mean I think any uh, any family breakup is tough on them so the first priority was I wanted to be a good role model for my children mm-hmm And secondly, I wanted to be a good role model for myself 
Mm. And to, to start to love myself again and make and be proud of myself again. Because at that moment in time, I didn't even really like myself, never mind anything else. So it was doing a lot of work on me mm-hmm. because once you have got your, once you've got the confidence and the self-belief, it sort of galvanizes you into taking risks. I don't mean crazy risks, but you're much more, you know, when you're feeling confident, you're much more likely to take some risks. And not desperate risks. No, 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 not desperate risks. I do not advocate making, I don't advocate making mega decisions when you are temporarily emotionally upset. I didn't make any major decisions. So what happened was with uh, my uh, breakup was that I stayed in the marital home with the children and that went up for sale. But it didn't. It, we were having a recession. Uh, was it a recession or just a property? Not very. Property wasn't moving in uh, 2011, 2010, 2011. So it took three years to sell the house. Oh, wow. I was in the house for three years by myself with the children. So I had a lot of time to actually think. I would have made the right decision whether I'd have had to have moved in six months. But to be honest with you, it it wasn't ideal because I I, I felt I couldn't move forward as much because I was still stuck in the marital home. But on the other hand, it did give me time to think. And what I did is when it was eventually sold, I moved to a different part of the country altogether, knowing nobody and had a, had seven years in this particular city where it, it was, I had a really good time. I made new friends and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make some new friends and actually start a new life. Did you cut off a lot of friends when you were in the marriage? If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Did you cut off a lot of friends when you were in the marriage? No, not really. But the the other interesting thing was I had a lot of friends prior to marriage, and so did he. But he didn't like my friends. No reason why he didn't like my friends, but he was very rude with all of my friends and it was almost as though I was too embarrassed to then join them as a couple. I would go and see them by myself, but we we didn't get involved as a couple. It was all his friends that we were involved with. And then of course, over the years, we made some mutual friends. Mm. But the interesting thing is, I don't know whether any anybody can relate to this, but I found it very sad. As a single woman, couples tend to drop you because you're sort of the odd number at a dinner party or, God forbid, the the, the other women think you're a threat. You might want to run off with their husbands, which I found quite outrageous. But so I think that was another reason why I just thought, you know what, I'm going to move away from the area totally because I didn't get invited to the social gatherings that I used to as a couple. Mm. So that must have been painful too. So you've got the loss of the, or the ending of a marriage, I should say, and then another loss of friends and a group of people that used to be supporting, I guess, in some ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. So 
I think what you did, just knowing that takes so much courage for you to be able to walk away and say, this is not something I want to be in anymore. But I don't think you knew that beforehand, but experiencing that looking for me to hear you tell that story, I just, I hear a lot of bravery and courage. I also hear sadness because of loss. Of course, there's always sadness with loss. And I think I was sad that the family unit broke down. I found that very, very sad indeed. And I felt it for the for my children. Mm-hmm. And the statistics are that their divorce is over 50%, certainly here in the UK. But the interesting thing was that none of our mutual friends were divorced or separated. We were the only ones and my children didn't, that none of their friends were, you know, had parents who were separated either. So I think there was sadness in that. And yeah, I suppose sadness in that it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a shame, but um, yeah, but I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I sort of, I don't, certainly I don't really feel sad about it anymore. It's given me, a new lease of life. It's given me my identity back and a new identity. Yes, of course, you know, you, you, you do, you do need bravery and courage, but it's like the same, nothing grows in the comfort zone. My friend, Kristen Childs, we posted her quote on the website or on the Facebook page, Damaged Parents, the other day. It's, uh, there's no comfort in the growth zone and no growth in the comfort zone. (laughs) It's true. It's really true. And I suppose I was getting on a bit in my early 50s. So that's, you know, it's harder as you get older, for sure. Um, But on the other hand, it's a lot harder to be miserable. That's poignant. That is very poignant. Yeah, it is. Life is so precious and every day is a gift. And to be in a situation where you're you're sad or miserable or you're not living your full life or full potential, mm-hmm. to me, that's a tragedy. Yeah, it really is. You've got two young sons or not I young. Been. I mean, in my book and your book, they were young. <laughs> teenagers when you left and how yes. did they I mean how did they take that and and does does dad still have a relationship with them yeah both boys have got different things that they're interested in I can't think what the word is the hobbies and what have you so my eldest son is very very creative and he's well he's just amazingly creative he's just written a one play that's just been filmed over the internet and he's got his in partnership on it in a theatre company and so yeah he's very happy doing doing that and I'm very very proud of him my and I'm not he's not especially close to his father and I think the majority of that is because they don't have very much in common mm. you know hobby wise or interest wise whereas my youngest son he likes all the things that his father likes. So they have got much more in common mm-hmm. than, than my eldest son has, which is interesting because I've got a lot in common with my eldest son. Right. So, and I'm sure that's the same member as in my family growing up. I have much more in common with my father than I did with my mother. And my sister had more in common with my mother than, than uh, with my father. But the boy, 
boys are growing up now. I mean, they're sort of 23 and 25. And the youngest one obviously is not able to be independent. But my eldest son is, is living his own life and he's got his own agenda. Yeah. Now you said, obviously, I know, but our audience doesn't know what's going on with your youngest son. Yes, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was 12 months old. So that was a bit of a shock. And especially when you think you've got a normal, healthy child. And whilst he's very mobile and just walks with a a limp and it's like he's had a stroke down uh, one side, But he's got lots of other disabilities and needs. So he's not independent. And he is here in the UK. You can actually go to a special needs college until you're 25. So he's currently in a residential special needs college. Learning life skills, which is the most important thing for him. He doesn't need academia. He needs to be able to learn life skills. He's not going to be able to live independently. So you're forever monitoring what progress has been made and the next stage for this, that and the other. But, you know, he's incredibly happy where he is. He's very supportive. I mean, you know, the whole world is on its backside at the moment because of COVID, unfortunately. So none of us are able to do what we would normally do. Mm -hmm. So he'd be able to be going out into the community and doing little bits of work, but supported by a carer and stuff. But at the moment, he's not able to do that. So he's, he's isolating at his college and we're isolating at home and sometimes feel like we're going stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, we live by the beach, so it's not too bad, although it's very, there's lots of snow at the moment, but uh, at least we've got the freedom of being able to get out into the fresh air. Both boys are fine. I'm sure the father is incredibly proud of both of them. I really don't have a lot of communication with the father. Unfortunately, the divorce was very acrimonious and it took seven years to finalize that was a, that was an exhausting process as well so I've only really been totally free for the last three years <laughs> oh my goodness but it's just like one of those is it you know it, I, the, the way I sort of dealt with it was I just removed all, all emotion from it it just became like a business transaction mm-hmm. because I think otherwise it would have just been too much Right. Uh, you know, to get totally emotionally involved in, in it all the time. But again, that was just another trait of a narcissist, not one being totally delusional about what the law says and et cetera, et cetera. Because I, re- I remember saying to my lawyer, surely his lawyer must be saying to him, for goodness sake, what, 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 why are you making it drag out? This should have been sorted out a long time ago. But I think he was very, you know, unfortunately, I think he was very angry with the whole sort of split, etc. I think he would have carried on. Right. As it was, you know, for in, in, indefinitely, which is, well, certainly wasn't a lie for me. That's for sure. Maybe the attorney just wanted the money. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's another that's another story, Angela. Yeah, we could all we could all talk about attorneys and you know their fees. Dear God, 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of them are happy to get the narcissist because they're going to pay. I'm sure they probably because are, they're right, yeah. right. Yes. And this absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're you hit the nail on the head. That's that's how it was. Yeah, I'm sure that the, the uh, lawyers love having the narcissistic clients. <laughs> so, would you say he was a different person to you than to the boys, or does he just show up all around as a narcissistic person? I it's quite interesting, really, because there was a you know he he did do um, a smear campaign Mm, mm -hmm. not with my eldest son but certainly with his brother Mm. and that was very very uh, it's very upsetting because it did affect my relationship with my youngest son so when you say smear campaign are you talking about he's trying to get the youngest son to believe that you are a horrible person exactly exactly yeah and um, also with friends and the people at my youngest son's college. Mm. So that was that was very upsetting because my youngest son wouldn't speak to me for 12 months. Mm. And he refused any contact with me at all. And I couldn't believe that his father would stoop so low as to do something like that, to try and turn a child against his mother. And he did. And it was only that my eldest son had been at his father's house and heard him. And Mm. so he told me and I just sort of flipped. I just hit the roof. And what I did was I actually went to the college where my youngest son is and told them what had been going on because if you'd have seen the text that my youngest son was sending me, and of course the college would have seen it as well, and they must have thought I was some sort of maniac mm-hmm. and horrible mother. But when I explained to them what had happened and evidenced it from my eldest son, it, the college were fantastic. They really worked on my youngest son. It, I mean, not work, but what they worked on him to sort of explain that, you know, they, they didn't call his father or anything like that, but they just said, Mommy loves you very much, et cetera, et cetera. So that took around sort of 12, 15 months for him to go back to how he used to be. So, yeah, that was the, I think that was probably the worst 15 months of my life, never mind the 27 years, but to think that your child hates you was just the worst thing ever. Devastating. Um, Yeah, totally. And I have one very close couple. They were mutual friends. We met together and the ex-husband would just do nothing but badmouth me all the time. Mm. And the wife just stood up one day and said, enough. Mm. Just... Mm -hmm. If you are going to, you know, every time you come and see us, if that's all you're going to come out with, please don't come, you know, don't come anymore. And uh, I think he's still friends with the husband, but he's not very friendly with the wife. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he was called out. Narcissists don't like being called out. No. But um, I I don't know. I mean, he's very, you know, it's sort of, There is manipulation, certainly. I'm not quite sure whether the youngest son would uh, understand what was happening. But because he enjoys doing a lot of what his father does, then 
he's happy to go along. And but I, I, I think there's been instances where my eldest son has felt manipulated, but he's old enough now and, and strong enough to actually not go along with it. Well, and it sounds like you were significantly manipulated throughout the marriage and and your husband was very, very sly, if you will, I, I'm very careful in some ways, maybe in how he manipulated you. So it was almost like you were unaware of it on some level, a little bit, maybe a lot of gaslighting, if you will. The lights aren't flickering, but they're flickering, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and because your son, is, your youngest is special needs with cerebral palsy, right? Yeah. I am not certain that that manipulation by dad, and I could be wrong. I, I think it could have happened to any child that had such a deep relationship and so many similarities with that particular parent. If that parent, and you please do tell me if you think I'm off base, a parent has a significant amount of power and authority over children. And it's to me, I, I consider that sacred. And if you have a parent that a child just relates to so deeply and they take advantage of that, I don't think it matters if the child is disabled or not. They can still end up going down. Well, if dad hates mom or mom hates dad, depending on who they relate with, and they're using that power and authority inappropriately, then they're going to lean that way. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think it was irrelevant um, of my youngest son's disabilities. I think the fact that they are close because of the things that they like to do and mm-hmm. they spend they spend much more time together than he was the obvious choice. And you're right, it does it is his, his disability was irrelevant. Yeah, I'm just it just was something that flashed through my mind as is mm. part of, you know, there's so many times I'm disabled. I, uh, you oh, don't really? know that. No, I don't. Oh, wow. So um, I actually, I'm going to show you. I, my left hand is stuck in this position. Uh, so it's, it's kind of in a curved position for the listeners. And my right hand, I cannot open all the way or close all the way. And then I have problems with my legs as well. So there are many times that I think in my own mind, I decided it was my disability and not thinking that I was capable. And I'm thinking your youngest son has brought you joy and sorrow and the complexity of life, not just, he's not just a thing, right? You know, he has more than that. So could you tell us more about that? Oh my God, he has given me so many gifts. Um, You know, he, look, both my kids are gifts, both of them. And my life is totally complete because of them. And, but what my youngest son taught me was patience. Mm. And I can't, I don't think I was ever a patient person, really. I mean, as, as I was saying to you off air, I think I used to run corporate American law firms as a job that was very fast paced and it was wham, wham, bam. So I wasn't used to having much patience. Everything had to be done yesterday, Mm. but certainly with uh, my youngest son, I mean, children, they do give you this, they do make you patient because you can only go at their speed. But of course, 
without the disabilities, children move at a certain rate. And then all of a sudden, before you know where you are, the teenagers and you just can't believe it's that's happened. But when you have disabilities and whether they're mild or, or severe, you can only go at his pace. And it can be the most frustrating thing in the world. You know, bless, because cognitively, there's, you know, intangible concepts don't mean anything to him. So Mm -hmm. time means nothing. Mm -hmm. And so classic examples are if we want to go to the cinema Mm -hmm. and we'll say it has to be almost planned to military precision. We have to make sure we've eaten, we've been to the bathroom, we've done X, Y, and Z. I've got this, I've got that, I've got the other, and then we go. And uh, then all of a sudden he may decide that he doesn't want to go right now. He wants to go in 10 minutes time. And you're trying to explain, well, if we don't leave now, then we're going to miss the the beginning of the film. That doesn't matter. And in the beginning, I used to get incredibly frustrated. Mm -hmm. And and now it's sort of, okay, fine, whatever. So it's taught me a lot of patience. And unfortunately, one of his major disabilities is that he has no speech articulation. And, you know, obviously, cognitively, there is a delay there. So he experiences massive amounts of frustration because he can't communicate. Mm -hmm. And if we any of you have been to a foreign country and you can't speak the language, you know how frustrating that can be. And it's frustrating for him and it's frustrating for us. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. So you just have to learn to sort of, there is an element of preempting possible mm-hmm. scenarios and then trying to make them go as smoothly as possible. But that is not always possible. And there will be fallout and you just have to deal with that as and as and when it happens. But what it's taught me is if I can read what he's taught me is I can remain calm when everything else is falling around. That's that keeps him calm. He doesn't yeah. like to be, you know, he's he's very aware of his disability, which is it's very sad and he gets frustrated with himself, which is heartbreaking. But it also makes him angry too. And so it's a question of trying to sort of diffuse mm-hmm. situations. But yeah, patience. I've been taught, an, you know, an enormous, and I've learned a lot from him, is understanding patience and in the other person's view of the world it's not I've got, you, I can't go you can't go through life just through your eyes you've got to put yourself or try and put yourself in the other person's shoes to try and understand where they're coming from and I think whether you have a disability or not I think it's so helpful and useful to be able to do that mm-hmm. because we've all got different agendas different views, different ideas and communication and patience and understanding, I think are critical. It sounds like what I'm hearing is regardless of his limitations, he has been such a value to you and the world around you. And he's an amazing spirit that wants to share. He still gets frustrated and he still gets angry and he also still has joy. And so he's very much another human having the human experience, which, you know, is really, I think, 
Fabulous. Now, because I understand, or I don't want to just focus on him, you've got two sons. So I would love to hear what you learned from your oldest son. Kindness. He's probably the one of probably the one of the kindest people I know. He's very funny, and I'm very proud of him. Very proud of him. Yeah, he's a very special guy. Yeah, yeah. He makes my heart sing. They both do. They both do. Yeah. But I, I'm very, especially close to my eldest, eldest son. Mm-hmm. I can Thank sense the see. love. <laughs> I can sense yeah. it. <laughs> oh, Marie, this has been a fabulous conversation. Oh, thank you. I, uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that you were able to come here and share the struggle of escaping the clutches of a narcissist into the beauty of what it was like to become who you were meant to be and to recognize the blessings of the children that, that you were able to have. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Angela. It's been, it's been lovely, lovely to meet you as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Marie about how she escaped the clutches of a narcissist and found fun. We especially liked when she spoke with an abundance of love for her children. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Instagram. Look for Damaged Parents. This podcast was sponsored in part by Arches Audio. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.